Well, good morning. I'm going to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14, and we're going to start with verse 22. And as you're turning, um, I want you to dial back in your memory banks just just a few years. Uh, One of the earliest games that we learned to play is the game called Tug of War. And uh, two opposing persons or teams or forces each grab the opposing end of an object, um, such as a rope, and an, an attempt to wrestle it from the opponent by pulling. Um, we played it in the Boy Scouts. Uh, we pitted one entire troop against another across a creek bed, and that was quite a rope. <laughs> um, well, life brings different tensions to us that act in the same manner. And it really, at that point, no longer feels like a game, does it? It's stress and it's tension, and that's, those are things to which we can all relate. Um, stress and tension, is, and as we're pulled, our, our thoughts and our emotions, our beliefs, they're pulled in opposing directions. Um, So how do we respond when our faith and our beliefs are being pulled in that capacity, in that way? Um, As we've been studying uh, these kingdom encounters of Matthew for several months now, it's been interesting to hear some of the comments and some of the dialogue. Um, So we read chapter 14 at the end. At, at, At the start of chapter 14, last week we saw Jesus heal and then feed over 5,000 people. <laughs> and it was probably closer to, to 10 to 15,000. And, and in verse 22, this is what we read. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the crowds away. And, and after he had sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone, but the boat was already a long distance from the land and battered by waves, for the wind was contrary. I I like words like contrary. (laughs) And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea, and when the disciples saw Jesus walking on the sea, they were terrified. They were terrified. And they said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, Come. (laughs) Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But seeing The wind. Seeing the wind, Peter became frightened. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of Peter and said, You of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind 
stopped. <laughs> and those who were in the boat worshipped Jesus, saying, You are certainly God's Son. When they had crossed over, they came to land at Genesaret. And when the men of that place recognized Jesus, they sent word into all that surrounding district and brought to him all who were sick. And they implored him that they might just touch the fringe of his cloak. And as many as touched it were cured. Wow. What happens? We've had this huge meal. We've had this huge meal. And, and immediately, Jesus makes the disciples get into a boat and go ahead of him to the other side. While Jesus sends the crowds away. And, and after Jesus sends the crowds away, he, he goes up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when it's evening, he's, Jesus is there, is there all alone, all by himself Jesus is all by himself. Ladies, do you remember the bath soap commercial, Calgon, take me away? <laughs> Sometimes I'll ask my wife, do you need a Calgon moment? <laughs> uh, after the majority of the day that they've had uh, with healing the sick, and after the, the nearly 15,000 people have had dinner on the ground, they must be good Baptists, right? Amen. They've had dinner on the ground, 15,000 people strong. Jesus goes to pray. And when it is evening, Jesus is there all alone. And Jesus is all God, but Jesus is, is all man. And you know, we all need a moment sometimes, don't we? We all need a moment. But it's not, it's not only that. Jesus, God the Son, is communing with God the Father. They are one. They are one. That's, and that's capital O. They are one. And, and as I was studying this this week, I couldn't help but pick up on the similarity between Jesus on the mountain by himself to pray and when Moses would ascend Mount Sinai to meet with the Lord. Way back in the Old Testament. Both are in the presence of the Lord with nothing to tug their focus away. They're not dealing with any kind of tug of war. They are focusing on God. You know, there's something about closing off all of the distracting voices, isn't there? Our devices, our, our, the things that keep us connected, our, our watches, our phones, our iPads. There's something about closing off all of those distracting voices. And, and, and what happens, you know, Jesus is on the mountain, but, but what about his disciples during all of this? Well, they're out on the water. And, and we read that the boat is already a long distance from the land and it's battered by the waves for the wind was, and again, I love the word contrary. I looked up the word contrary and it meant, you know, it's intent on going the opposite way. So, 
Uh, contr- the wind is, is not wanting to, to get along with what's going on. The disciples, they're on a boat. They're a long distance from shore. There's some kind of windy weather event. They're battered by the waves. The wind is contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus comes to them, walking on the sea. All right, so what is a fourth watch? Well, I read a Bible scholar this week named Thayer that that gives a little definition. And he says this, it's a time of night in which guard was kept, a watch, and the period of time during which uh, the guard was on duty and at the end of which others relieved the guard, it's a shift change. And as these earlier Greeks divided the night commonly into three parts, the Israelites did that too until they were exiled and then when they came back, they were under subject of Rome, and so they adopted this Roman custom of dividing the night into fourth watches. And so this fourth watch that we read would take place between the hours of 3 to 6 a.m. 3 to 6 a.m. So, so why does this matter? Why am I even telling you this? Well, so we, that we can know the time span. In verse 23... It was evening, and everyone is left, and Jesus is alone. Dinner's finished. And in verse 25, it's now the fourth watch between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. The disciples, you know, they've been on the water now a long time. Jesus has been praying a long time. A long time. Then Jesus decides to come to the disciples. And this is a nighttime visitation from the Lord Have we ever seen this kind of thing before? Well, when when there's some heaven-sent, God-ordained spiritual activity occurring during the night. Well, we have. And we read about one just a few weeks ago during our Christmas season in Matthew 2 when an angel of the Lord appears to Joseph in a dream and he says to Joseph, Get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. Did anybody know that today is Sanctity of Life Sunday? Wanting to protect our children. Joseph gets up and takes the child and his mother while it's still night and they leave for Egypt in order to protect baby Jesus from Herod's rage and the slaughter of all those innocent children. We can go back even further in the Old Testament. Jacob, one of the forefathers of what would become our faith, is coming to pay tribute to his brother Esau. As Jacob, if you remember the story, he had wronged Esau and stole his birthright years before. And Jacob is heading to Canaan trying to make things right. He's wanting to pay tribute to come to Esau. And Genesis 32 tells a very, very, very weird story. One of the most strange stories in all of Scripture. And and what happens, Jacob, during the night, takes two of his his two wives, his two maids, his 11 children, and crosses the ford of the the Jabbok River. And he takes them, he sends them across the stream, and he's taking all of his goods, all of his animals. He's paying tribute to Esau. Everything he's got, he sends them in front of himself. And Jacob is all alone. And this is what happens. 
It's in the middle of the night. Jacob is by himself. And this unknown, mysterious man shows up on the scene. He arrives on the scene and he wrestles with Jacob through the dark of the night until the dawn, until daybreak. What? We sure don't sing hymns about that. What, what is that? Well, the man sees that he is not prevailing against Jacob, and so the man touches the socket of Jacob's thigh, and so the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while they were wrestling. And then the man, the mysterious stranger, says, let me go for the dawn is breaking. And then Jacob says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Unless you bless me. I will not let you go. And so the man says, what is your name? And Jacob replies, Jacob. And then the mysterious man says, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God. You have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. And then Jacob asks the man, please tell me your name. Please tell me your name. And the unknown stranger says, why is it that you ask my name? And then Jacob is blessed there. And Jacob names the place Peniel, for he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been preserved. Jacob has been face to face with God during the night and come out as Israel. And in a similar fashion, I would imagine that in verse 23, Jesus has been face to face with the Father, and now Jesus will become face to face with his disciples. And it's the middle of the night, life-changing gospel conversations and events can happen during a time when, when generally most of our defenses are down, like in the middle of the night. And Jesus steps out on the water, and Jesus heads toward the disciples in the boat, and the boat's a long distance from land. You know, they've been on the water a long time. Jesus has to walk a ways toward them, and the disciples see this figure walking on the sea, and they are terrified. <laughs> it's a ghost! And they cry out in fear. I mean, imagine sitting there. I mean, how would we react? How would we react? And, and I think sometimes we forget to give the disciples the benefit of the doubt. We need to give them a break sometimes. I mean, they're really no different than we are. I mean, there's times we think that they are a bunch of clueless boobs. <laughs> but hello. <laughs> but the Lord knows this too. He knows that we are dust. Immediately, Jesus speaks to them saying, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Some of the most important words we'll ever hear Jesus say to this day. Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter says, Lord, if it's you who command me to come to you on the water... I can hear Peter's teeth chattering <laughs> right now. <laughs> if it's you, uh, Jesus says, come. All right, big boy, come on. 
Put up or shut up. Peter gets out of the boat. And he walks on the water, and he comes toward Jesus. I mean, this is unnatural. I mean, this breaks the laws of nature, breaks the laws of physics. But Jesus is the Lord of all creation. (laughs) And Peter does something that no one else has ever done before or since. But then something happens. Seeing the wind, he becomes frightened. And he begins to sink, and he he cries out, Lord, save me! Seeing the wind. Do we ever see the wind? Think about those times in our lives when, when the Lord has called us out of the boat out of the boat of comfort or convenience and and onto the water and we're looking at him and maybe we we might hear thunder in the background maybe a whispering breeze and we see the wind we see the wind we we see a situation and we see the wind as bigger than the one who created the wind Did you get that? We see the wind as bigger than the one who has created the wind. Peter becomes frightened and and he begins to sink. Lord, save me! The most important words that any of us could ever say. Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretches out his hand and he takes hold of Peter and he says, you have little faith, why, why did you doubt? I mean, it's a unique opportunity to walk with the king, but rather than admonish Peter or berate him condescendingly, Jesus simply stretches out his hand. Takes hold of Peter's hand and says, why did you, why did you doubt? They get into the boat, and the wind stops. And those who are in the boat, they they began to worship Jesus, saying, you are certainly God's son. And that's that's an understatement. (laughs) When things don't go as planned, when we venture out onto the water, and, and we see the wind, and we get frightened, and we begin to sink and we're rescued, we have this renewed sense of awe at the grace which the Lord shows us. And aren't we glad? Especially after we fail. It's when we begin to sink that we are especially sensitive to the things of God. When we fail, we're especially sensitive to to the Lord. And it's it's not an if but a when. It's, you know, our lives are more about when we sink than if we sink. It's when. We're more prone to the winds of life than the ifs. 
They cross over and they land at this area called Genesaret. And, and, and it's, this is maybe on the northwest shore of Galilee. The shore of Galilee, there's no trace of it. But, but the, what happens, they get out and the men of that place, they recognize Jesus and they send word to all the surrounding area. Jesus is here and, and they bring to him all who were sick. And, and they implore him that they might just touch the fringe of his cloak and as many as who touched it were cured. I see, I see this word genesaret and the response that Jesus receives from the men of that place. They spread the word, bring to Jesus all who were sick. Can we just touch the fringe of your cloak? We'll get well. They implore. They and implore. What does that mean? And we don't use that beautiful language much anymore. Well, that means to beg someone earnestly or to desperately to, to, to ask to do something, to implore. And I can't help but think of the occasion of which we read a few weeks ago, before Christmas, when, when Jesus' boat comes to land in a country called the Gadarenes. And this is back in Matthew 8. And this is where Jesus comes across these two demon-possessed men that are running around this graveyard. And at places of the dead are considered unclean. And, and Jesus heals them and he sets them free from demon possession. And, 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 the, and the men of that place, if you remember, they're herding swine. And that's weird, too, because it's a questionable activity because swine are forbidden to even handle. I mean, they're unclean. Why are they hurting them? And, and Jesus casts these demons out of the men, sends them into the swine. The herd of swine rushes over a cliff into the sea. The herdsmen, they run into town to tell the news, and the townspeople, they rush to Jesus and rejoice. No! No, they don't. They beg Jesus to leave that place. They, they implore Jesus to leave. But later in Genesaret, the men there, they receive Jesus and they spread the word. They believe they can simply touch the hem of his garment. Look at their faith. Look at their, look at their faith. And, and then you look at the faith of the one who has been walking with Jesus now for a while and, and the one who was called out by Jesus to walk on the water with Jesus and one who ultimately doubted Jesus calling out to him. He didn't trust what Jesus was telling him. Rather than look at Jesus, Peter looked to the wind. It, it was right before Jesus and the disciples had landed in that sin-steeped area that we were just talking about, the Gadarenes. It was right before that when that famous storm blew up and the disciples, you know, they're on the water and they think they're going to drown and Jesus, well, he's alone and He's alone there too. He's in the hold of the boat and he's sleeping. And they, they rush down. Save us, Lord, we're perishing. And Jesus says, why are you afraid, you men of little faith? Jesus gets up and he rebukes the wind and the sea and it becomes perfectly calm and the men, they're amazed and they say, what kind of man is this? that even the winds and the seas obey him. And, and six chapters later this morning, 
we read that those who are in the boat now, they worship Jesus, saying, you are certainly God's son. You are certainly God's son. And we hear that and we would heartily, heartily agree. But what about those times when we see the wind? Those times when we are distracted by unbelief, which in some cases that results in disobedience. We, we want to listen and we take a step, or, or we take a step or two, but we trust our fears more than we trust in Him. What, what about those times when perhaps we've, we've misunderstood Jesus' invitation to join Him out on the water, out of the boat of familiarity, out of the boat of comfort, in order to step into something new and, and unique, some, some new and unique opportunities. Acting like we're not hearing him, but, but we really do. But, but thankfully we have a Savior who, rather than berate us condescendingly, we, we have a Savior who still stretches out his hand and offers to take hold of each one of us. And we have one who still asks each one of us, why do you doubt me? What about those times when Jesus lands in those places of our lives where he's most needed? You know, the, we all have those dark corners of our hearts. I mean, we, we know what that means. Those places that Jesus wants to dwell and wants to clean but like the city folk and the Gadarenes we, we really want Jesus to leave our sin alone do we implore Jesus to not touch certain areas of our lives it's that tug of war it's that, it's that image of the tug of war and, and it's that tug of war between what we've believed by seeing and, and disbelieved even after we've seen it. Maybe it's that tug of war between what we've either believed or disbelieved after seeing and what we're called to believe by simply trusting in Him. Sight unseen. Can we trust what the Lord simply and directly tells us? We have everything, everything he's told us in his word. I mean, can we trust him even during those night times of our lives when we wrestle with him? The good news is just as Jesus told his disciples in the boat as he walked toward them, just as he told them, he tells us, and he still says it, Take courage. It is I do not be afraid. Amen. See, Jesus still, he still extends his hand toward us. 
each one of us. And it's, it's the hand which was nailed to the cross for us. Taking our sin debt once and for all so that we could have access to God through what he had, had done for us on the cross. I mean, can we trust his hand and can we trust his word?